As I've been in conversation with CPC folks, families, and friends, many if not most of whom are finding out that staying at home is a real challenge. Even for those who are working from home or working outside of the home and coming home, there's still what to do after work. Can't go to one of your favorite restaurants except maybe for carryout. Shopping is limited. Extended family visits are not supposed to be happening. Now, by no means do I want to minimize the loss people are experiencing, but sometimes it's good to look at the lighter side of things. With that said, here's the refrain that if I've heard it once, I've heard it, well, more than once. Netflix, Netflix is my best friend. While Lynette and I don't do Netflix, I know, how can that be? I'm amazed at how many movies are out there via our cable provider and Amazon Prime. Some of them are really pretty good. Some, well, not so much. Well, I have one for you to add to your list. It's called 16 Love. Starring Lindsay Shaw and Chandler Massey, it debuted in select markets in January of 2012. It's a family-oriented romantic comedy about a junior tennis player who gets injured, realizes she's missing her teenage years as her life is pretty much tennis are us. She helps train another player. They fall in love and the rest is, well, nicely predictable. Interesting enough, this movie is one Lynette and I stumbled onto. And get this, yours truly has a non-speaking part in it. No joke. I was on the big screen, again, in selected markets, mind you. And you know something else? When this movie was released, I purchased it and did my best to scan through it quickly to see if I was on the cutting floor or actually made my way into the film. In my haste, I didn't find me, forgot about it, eventually lost the movie altogether. I probably should have hired an agent to take care of such things. Who knows, I might have launched another career. But no joke, I never watched it until COVID-19. Well, my cameo appearance takes place in the La Jolla men's final tournament scene. The producer needs a, needed a college tennis scout who shows up looking for possible recruits. You may ask, okay, Pastor Ron, how, who did you know or what happened that got you into this film? Long story short, I was pastoring in Phoenix, and we had gone off with the high school students to do a mission trip in L.A. We were ministering in Skid Row as well as in other downtown locations, but we stayed at the La Jolla Presbyterian Church courtesy of a friend of mine who pastors there. I ventured outside while the students were getting settled in the youth room, and I noticed directly across the street in front of the La Jolla Tennis Club was this big, fancy, chartered bus with tinted windows and there was people, all kinds of people, moving all around it. I went over there to discover that they were, in fact, making a movie. And yes, they would love to have our high school students sit in the stands during the shooting of the tournament scene. And then, to my surprise, I got my 15 minutes of fame, playing the role of a college tennis recruiter. When I sent the clip to my mom, her text back to me was simply this, you should have smiled. She's probably right. That's probably why I didn't get callbacks. But I was smart enough to keep my day job. Today, in John 21, we're going to take a look at Jesus, the recruiter, who in a very real sense recruits Peter back onto his team. 
you know, today's best recruiters find the best and the brightest. If the recruit doesn't know about the opportunity to which they're being recruited, they are informed and even enticed to consider it. If the potential recruit has promise but needs some pointers on how to better present themselves, a good recruiter will help them look good. However, we find that Jesus, as a recruiter, recruits in the most unexpected way. Rather than finding the best and the brightest, he calls whom he calls. In fact, his recruits are often broken, bruised, a bit of a mess, often marginalized by others. And rather than do what it takes to make them look better, Jesus transforms them from the inside out, healing their soul, simply calling them with two simple words, follow me. Let's pray. Oh my God, you have gathered your people in living rooms and in different locations around this greater Minneapolis area, but also maybe across this United States, to lean into you as we worship you and hear from you through your word. So might you speak to us that which you want in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open it to the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. As we come to the last in our series, Unexpected Images of Jesus, he does it again. He shows up saying something that catches everyone by surprise. Last Sunday, Jesus, the chef, gathered them for breakfast around a charcoal fire, but the story doesn't stop there. In fact, without missing a beat, Jesus turns his attention from the six other, the six other disciples present to but one of them, one who, whether he knows it or not, is in deep need. And then Jesus enters into what could have been a quite ordinary conversation, but turns it into an extraordinary exchange. Look with me, verse 20, chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Two things to note. Jesus does a curious thing. He uses Peter's full name, Simon, son of John. Why? Well, I'm not sure, but it reminds me of the times when I used our kids' first and middle name. It was in those times when they had done something I didn't really care for and wanted to grab their attention. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Second, it's unclear what or who Jesus was referring to with this question. Do you love me more than these? There's a few scenarios that that could play out, but I think the one that makes the most sense is that Jesus is contrasting Peter's love for Jesus with the love the other disciples have for Jesus. It's like this, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? It makes sense. Remember, it was Peter, the impulsive one, who proclaimed that his love for Jesus was so deep, so complete, that he would follow Jesus even if it meant to his own demise. It was not all that long ago when they were gathered around Jesus, he washed their feet, instituted communion, sang a hymn, and went off to Mount Olives. And this is what Matthew records for us in Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, 
and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then that very night, around another charcoal fire, Peter does what he promised he would never do. He denies Jesus. It gets worse. Jesus must have been in the high priest's courtyard, for the scripture tells us that at the moment Peter made his third denial, the rooster crows, and Jesus looks directly at Peter. Can you imagine it? The worst sin that Peter could commit, the one that would be above all others, after following Jesus for three years, to do the thing you said out loud for everyone else to hear that you would never do, you then turn your back on the one to whom you sworn your life's allegiance at a time probably at his greatest need. And then Jesus turns his head and locks eyes with you. He heard, he saw, he knows. And so, understandably, Peter goes off and weeps bitterly. Painful, extremely painful, and shame-filled. Let's go back to John 21, picking back up in verse 16. Peter said to him a second time, I'm sorry, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I like how the message puts it. Master, you know everything that there is to know. You've got to know I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Several things worthy of mention. First, the sheep belong to Jesus, not Peter. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Why is that important? It's especially important for any Christian that has other Christians to which they have been given the role of spiritual oversight or just influence. It keeps us from thinking that it's all up to us or all about us. It's about Jesus and them. We are but to love, lead, and influence others. Kind of like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Second, Jesus does the unexpected here. He doesn't rub Peter's nose in his sin. I suppose it could look like that. After all, he does ask him the same question three times. But I think Jesus answers, asks that question three times, obviously to mirror the three-time denial as a way to bring restoration to Peter, as a way to center him, as a way to give him focus. See, at the very heart of things, Peter's relationship with Jesus is in need of healing. And Jesus knows it. 
Peter's thrice denial causes Peter to view his relationship with Jesus as one now defined by his failure, his cowardice, his betrayal, his sin. He needs healing. And if he doesn't get it, he will likely live his life along one of two different paths. Number one, he could live his life trying to prove his worth over and over again by working hard. Number two, he could just gut it out and serve without much joy for he would just continue to beat himself up walking in shame, doing his best. I like that Winston Churchill said this in the heat of World War II. It's not enough that we do our best, but sometimes we must do what is required. And according to Jesus, here at this moment in Peter's life, doing what was required was not to be sure you are really, 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 really sorry for your sin, but instead to grapple with one question from Jesus. Peter, do you love me? See, Peter denied he knew Jesus because he was scared, and I think deep down denied that Jesus could or would forgive him, which really calls into the question, this into question, does Jesus really love me? Could he love me that much? The truth is he does. John tells us in 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. Back to Peter, verse 18. Jesus continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you, were, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Now, interesting point. Peter once declared he was willing to die for Jesus. And the best we can discern, he did. According to church tradition, he was crucified upside down because he loved Jesus Christ. Jesus completes this extraordinary conversation with this. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Simple, follow me. And this, my friends, is the crux of what Jesus is about. He recruits, that is, he calls people to follow him. And in that call is his healing of our histories. His spirit's transformations as we receive his loving forgiveness fully, holistically, into every area of our lives, past, present, and future. At our Good Friday service, James Madsen talked about one of those statements Jesus made on the cross before he died. He said, it is finished. James explains this to mean this, that everything that ever needed to be done or ever will need to be done by us to be reconciled to God has been done. All we need to do is to receive him and allow him to heal, transform, forgive, and love. And somewhere in that progression of those extraordinary events, for the first time and then over and over again, for the rest of our lives, according to John, 1 John 4, we love him back. He first loves us and then we love him back. The church of the primacy of St. Peter was built in 1933 on the Sea of Galilee in the city of Tabka, Israel. 
This Franciscan church was built on the foundation of a fourth century church where it is believed to be the location of the very events of John 21, the third appearance of the risen Jesus. And by his effortless direction, the amazing catch of 153 fish, so many that they couldn't even haul the nets into the boat. Breakfast with seven of his disciples, served up by Jesus, the chef, and the healing and restoration of Peter to Jesus, followed by the reaffirmation of Peter's call by Jesus. And it's here that a statue stands to commemorate that restoration. What I really like about the artist's translation of this epic event is first how Jesus extends his arm, places his hand over Peter, as if he's healing him, his soul, his inner heart. Then there's Peter who has his hand and heads turned up towards Jesus as if receiving his grace and his mercy. But rather than depicting Jesus, I'm sorry, and then he bends backwards as if this is too good to be true. And lastly, there's a shepherd's staff that Jesus puts in Peter's hand and Peter reaches out to grab it, but Peter, Jesus doesn't let go. It's as if to remind Peter, these are my sheep. We're going to do this as partners. I'm not just giving this over to you. and going to leave you alone. I am there with you. As people that shepherd God's people, whether we're a pastor, a ministry director, a small group leader, or a Sunday school teacher, or simply a Christian with whom God has entrusted others into your spiritual care or influence, this is something that we do in partnership with him. For the sheep belong to Jesus, not anyone else. And you know, if I had been there at that first charcoal fire with people ready to take me out, if I affirm that I know Jesus, I sometimes wonder what I would have done. I know what I hope I would do, but I wonder. As I was contemplating that question, I thought back of when I first came to Christ, that the hour that I first believed. I was 28 years old and I lived a life that looked good on the outside to many, but I knew better. But I got his love like I never had before. And it was at that moment, I'm pretty sure I was ready to live for him with all that I had because I was ready to die for him. I could have gone with him in that moment. Jesus is looking to turn those who deny the truth of his love into those who embrace it with open arms. Let me say that again. Jesus is looking to turn those who deny the truth of his love into those who embrace it with open arms. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Is there parts of it that need healing? Maybe for the first time or afresh. How can you tell? Well, one of the questions you can ask yourself with this is this. Are you still trying to prove your love to him? Or are you so amazed by his all-encompassing love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and presence in your life that you cannot help but love him? and therefore serve him with great joy. Where are you on that spectrum? Jesus is looking to turn truth deniers into truth lovers. Jesus is looking to turn those who deny the truth of his love into those who embrace it with open arms. Where do we, where do you, where do I deny Jesus? There are many ways. Let me just mention a few. Number one, we can deny his love. That is, we can just say, oh, he doesn't really know me. Oh, I know that intellectually he loves everybody, but he really doesn't love me. I'm really not that lovable. 
Jesus. John says in, in, about Jesus, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. He proved his love for you and for me. It's not debatable. It's just receivable. Number two, we can deny him time. That is, we can say, oh, he's too busy for me or I'm too busy for him. We don't want to admit that one, but that's part of the problem. And yet James tells us in chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. He doesn't wait for us to clean everything up and get our lives in order. He says, come to me and I'll help you get your life cleaned up and in order. And number three, we can deny his involvement. Especially in times like this, we can pull off and feel bad about what's going on and be focused on our loss and get a little down or getting in a funk, as I like to say. But the psalmist tells us this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Nothing good comes from denying the truth, the truth of Jesus' great love for you and for me. Are you ready to embrace his love with open arms once again? And thus, maybe answer his call with greater joy and love him back and then love others as he loves you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your word. For in it we find who you are in greater and greater ways, and we find who we are in relation to you. Let us immerse ourselves in your truth, found from page to page, but also in the truth that you love us dearly and that you have healing for our heart. Let us believe and let us follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.